I'm Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on December the 22nd, 2010. For newcomers, I advise you to look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com and help yourself to the hundreds of audios I have up there. Uh, You can download them for free. And remember, too, the sites you'll see listed there are alternate sites, where if you find sticking on the com site to download, try these alternate sites, because so many folk go into the com at the same time, you might have some problems. They all carry audios and they all carry a lot of transcripts as well of the shows I've done for print up. And if you want transcripts in other languages, go into Alan Watts Sentient, sentinel.eu and you'll find a bunch to choose from there. Help yourselves. Remember too, you're the audience that bring me to you. I don't uh, take money from advertisers. If I did, I'd be uh, feeling a lot better, I guess, more healthy and maybe have less time, more time to myself than I have now. But uh, you always get your hamstrung when you get in bed with um, people you're obligated to. So it's best sometimes to stay free. It's up to you to keep me going if you want to. You can do so by buying the books, discs, and so on. I got for sale at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And from the U.S. to Canada, you'll find on the website how to order them. You can use a personal check from the U.S. And you can use an international postal money order from the U.S. to Canada. You can also use PayPal, just uh, send the appropriate donation followed by an email with name, address, and order, and I'll get it out to you. Somebody will be able to send cash. Now, across uh, the rest of the world, you have the same idea with PayPal for ordering and donating. And, and by the way, uh, remember, donation also means donation. You can donate as well, just out of goodwill or whatever, over the fact you've learned an awful lot from listening to these talks over many, many years. And that's how I, I get by, just just get by. Sometimes I don't get by, but hopefully I'll stay on even keel for a little bit more. If not, I'll be off, and that's it. It's up to you. But uh, this is a different site altogether. It's a different show as well, because I give out information uh, that really has changed the course of looking at the Americas and the world, in a sense, for the Patriot Radios, who used to be stuck in a form of navel-gazing, uh, about what's happening just here. You've got to understand the big policies affect the entire planet because it's a global war. It's been a global war for an awful long time on the citizenry of every nation across the world to get us where we are. And the richest people on the planet, of course, are running the whole show. So if you can keep me going, then you'll learn a lot more. And I can point you to different books to read and so on for those who are still into reading and who can read. Most folk don't have the patience for it anymore. So many young ones have told me that they can't wade through a book. And some of them, in fact, never even read read through a single book at school. Uh, That's how bad it's become with the Internet and the bits and bytes and the short attention spans uh, that they have nowadays. That's all by design, too. And... 
this new world order, as they say, has been manifesting for an awful long time. Uh, as it was on the books for centuries, in fact, and worked upon by those who ran the world already, to be honest with you, those who controlled international money lending to nations. And uh, uh, they, they created the Milner Group, which created the Royal Institute of International Affairs and its American branch, which was the Council on Foreign Relations. And now they have a European branch for the whole European Union as well, and they have one for the Far East too. They've sewn it all up. And basically, they're pulling the strings, the drawstrings on the net, the fishing net, and pulling in the catch. And that's all of us. That's where we are today. Back with more after these messages. Hi folks, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix. It's interesting to to see predictive programming in action because predictive programming is getting you ready for something by uh, press releases and so on. And you can tell it's when it's predictive programming, especially when they, they reword what's already happened as though it's just happening. And this article here, I'm sure everyone's been um, tweeting and twittering the birds uh, on about it. It's from the Washington Post. And it's monitoring America, it's called. It says, nine years after the terrorist attacks of 2001, the United States is, is assembling it is assembling a vast domestic intelligence apparatus to collect information about Americans. Well, they've been doing that even before 9-11, and they really stepped up right after 9-11, as we know. So what they mean they, they are, it is in the, in the process of assembling a vast domestic intelligence apparatus. Anyway, it says, using the FBI local police State Homeland Security Officers or Offices and Military Criminal Investigators. The system, by far the largest and most technologically sophisticated in the nation's history, collects, stores and analyzes information about thousands of U.S. citizens, actually it's millions, it's, all of, it's everybody, and residents, many of whom have not been accused of any wrongdoing. I'll say yet, because they'll find something down the road on everybody if they want. You know, you're breaking laws every day. There's thousands of laws on the books that you don't even know about. The government's goal is to have every state and local law enforcement agency in the country feed information to Washington to buttress the work of the FBI, which is in charge of terrorism investigations in the United States. By the way, they've joined it with Canada, so they share all the data together about all their citizens. Uh, Other democracies, Britain and Israel, it's funny how they call them democracies, Britain eh, and Israel, to name two, are well acquainted with such domestic security measures, so that means it's okay if they're doing it, then we should do the same thing. But for the United States, the sum of these new activities represents a new level of governmental scrutiny. And it says, this localized intelligence apparatus is part of a larger top-secret America. Here they are publishing in the papers, eh? Top-secret, yeah. Created back, uh, created since attacks. In July, the Washington Post described an alternative geography of the United States, one that has grown so large, unwieldy, and secretive that no one knows how much money it costs, how many people it employs, or how many programs exist within it. By the way, they also have snoops in every street, by the way. That's official. Uh, they, go, they come in, pretend they're one of you, or they're tired or something like that, and they collect data. They also use the Masons for that as well, and the Eastern Star. They've been doing that long before 
Today's story, along with the related material on the Post's website, examines how top-secret America plays out at the local level. It describes a web of 4,058 federal, state, and local organizations, each with its own counterterrorism responsibilities and jurisdictions. This is going to be worse when it comes all down, I'll tell you. A lot worse than the Stasi, or it was in the Soviet Union. It really is an awful lot worse. It really is going to be something amazing. At least 935 of these organizations have been created since the 2001 attacks or became involved in counterterrorism for the first time after 9-11. The month-long investigation, or months-long investigation, based on nearly 100 interviews and 1,000 documents, found that technologies and techniques honed for use on the battlefields of Iraq and Afghanistan have migrated into the hands of law enforcement agencies in America. I read an article 10 years ago in the year where they were talking about the biggest sales that weaponry had. Now it was to domestic law enforcement and so on, years ago. The FBI is building a database with the names and certain personal information, such as employment history of thousands of U.S. citizens and residents whom a local police officer or a fellow citizen believed to be acting suspiciously. To understand that's enough probably one day to get into the gulag and beaten up and tortured and then they kill you. Because that will come along, you know. You can't stop this. I said years ago, once the U.S. takes takes off and they've got the beast over in the Middle East slaughtering folk like crazy with a debased generation, I I said the beast comes home and guess what? It's already here. It's just gnashing away, just dying to get at you. I'm not kidding either. I'm not just creating fear and hype about this. This This is standard history. It is accessible to an increasing number of local law enforcement and military criminal investigators, increasing concerns that it could somehow end up in the public domain. And seeking to learn more about Islam and terrorism, some law enforcement agencies have hired as trainers self-described experts whose extremist views on Islam and terrorism are considered inaccurate, well, I wonder where they came from, eh? and counterproductive by the FBI and U.S. intelligence agencies. The Department of Homeland Security sends its state and local partners intelligence reports with little meaningful guidance, and state reports have sometimes inappropriately reported on lawful meetings. Yeah, they go into poetry clubs and raid them and, you know, bring them into slammer. Waterboard them, and, and all they get out of them is rhymes. You know, and they, they must, must be a code or something. Anyway, it says, um, in cities across Tennessee and across the nation, local agencies are using sophisticated equipment and techniques to keep an eye out for terrorist threats and to watch Americans in the process. It's got a lot of links to it, too, this particular site, and I'll put it up at the end of the show with uh, the data and so on for you to look up for yourselves if you want to. If you don't know it all already, anyway, I'm sure you do. It says the need to identify U.S.-born or naturalized citizens who are planning violent attacks is more urgent than ever, U.S. intelligence officials say. This month's FBI sting operation involving a Baltimore construction worker who, and it says, allegedly planned, didn't do it, but planned, to bomb a Maryland military recruiting station is the latest example. Well, they set these things up in advance and they get um, patsies, you see. That's what they do on the Internet. It followed a similar arrest of a Somali-born naturalized U.S. citizen allegedly seeking to detonate a bomb near a Christmas tree lighting ceremony in Portland, Oregon. There have been nearly two dozen other cases just this year. Well, well, I don't really believe it. 
The old view is that if we fight terrorists abroad, we won't have to fight them here. Is just that. The old view, Homeland Security Secretary Janet Napoleon, oh, that's a Freudian slip again, told police and firefighters recently. And then the Obama administration heralds, this is really popular today in the, in the, the media. They use little words that come up for a while, they use them for a while and they drop away again. But everything's heralding something today. So the Obama administration heralds this local approach as a much-needed evolution in the way the country confronts terrorism. That's while you're back, you're now in the Soviet Union, folks. You see? So Top Secret America is a project, two years in the making, that describes a huge security build-up in the U.S. after the September 11, 2001 attacks. And... Um, as I say, it's, it's, it's just an, another massive funding, really, to all these different agencies, right down to civilian agencies that are all spying on their local citizenry and so on. And they can't even get the actual cost of it, except some of it has been published. $31 billion in grants, for instance, was published in 2003. And, of course, uh, I guess everybody with a, uh, a bit of psychopathic ability in them will get right in there and uh, spy on their community fresh air in the pie. And then they'll have to, obviously, this is what happens to an intelligence, they have to write reports that they've got somebody under surveillance all the time. And they make this stuff up. But it's on paper, and anything coming down, eventually they grab the poor schmuck that's been singled out, and this happened again across the Soviet Union and elsewhere in history. This is hell on earth coming down. And the folk don't even recognize it at all. They don't. And there's not much good news going on at all, except this piece here. You know, the United Nations also has these massive lucrative meetings as they use our tax monies. And remember, too, they're a private organization. Uh, but these are tax- they get great salaries at the top, fantastic salaries. And uh, they live with, you know, they get driven about with chauffeurs and all the rest of it because, you know, they, they, they're too important people to, to, to drive themselves. But uh, massive feasts they have there, whoever comes over, feasts every day. And this is the best news I've heard. Sewage backup causes United Nations evacuation. I like the way they were said evacuation. I think it's been too many evacuations there, and that was part of the problem because of the meals they eat. Anyway... It says a sewage backup caused a big stink at the United Nations on Tuesday, forcing diplomats and their staff to evacuate the Security Council and General Assembly. The spokesman Farhan Haq said the evacuation was a precautionary measure after a strange smell was noticed in parts of the UN. There's always been a smell there. Uh, and it was in the Secretariat building. He said the order was due to sewage backup possibly caused by high tides in the nearby East River. See, I think, this, I think they should get in there with Environmental Protection Agency. These guys are polluting everything. The UN is polluting the planet. Never mind their thoughts. And cut them back in all that high-protein food that they can get, all that good stuff, all the real organic stuff, etc., and all that uh, fresh sea fish and so on, and lobster. Cut it back in the, and they'd have less, less evacuations, then they wouldn't have to evacuate the building at all. Security officials had earlier told a crowd of reporters and UN officials in the street outside the UN compound in Manhattan that there was a gas leak. Oh, they lied, eh? Both the sec- well, maybe they're true as well. I guess there would be gas coming off it. Both the Security Council and the General Assembly had scheduled meetings on Tuesday, which were relocated to a building adjacent to the UN Secretariat. 
is presently going under a $2 billion refurbishment. Probably, probably the U.S. will pay for most of it, as they always do. And the U.N., as you know, is so grateful to the U.S. That's why they keep hammering at them to give more cash. But that's the best news I've seen today, actually. You know, that everything else is just predictable, as it generally is. Now, I've often mentioned how bad it would get and how far they'd go with different techniques that they're using on the general public as they train us and we accept the training and we adapt into it and it's normal. And then they bring up another topic and we kind of go, oh, I don't think so. And then we get used to it and then we adapt and then it's okay again. And, and it's a step-by-step process of reconditioning you completely into the type of uh, obedient citizen they want. So I'll talk about walk-in sterilization when I get back from this break. Hi folks, we're back and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. I'm talking about sterilization now and you can walk into clinics now in Britain. Uh, I think this is the first one of its kind that's opened to offer this um, this free sterilization. Well, it's not free, I guess you pay something or the taxpayer will pay for it. Anyway, it says the Cadogan Clinic claims it is the first in the country to offer the 10-minute walk-in, walk-out service. Quite funny because on the right-hand side it says, I don't want one of these, it only takes an hour to get sterilized. So an hour compared to 10 minutes, it's probably 50 minutes of paperwork to make sure that you, you don't sue them after all the after effects. Anyway, it's known as Esure. If they put PR for public relations, you'd have pressure instead of Esure. But anyway, this is a technique blocks the fallopian tubes and leaves no visible scars. Women can elect to have the procedure when it suits them, and their partner won't be able to tell, said the clinic. Oh, dear, dear. With a recommended recovery period of 45 minutes before patients can go home or back to work, no time off is needed, and there's little or no post-surgical pain. Why are they in such a, such a, such a hurry, eh? I mean, really, I mean, that walk-in clinic and get sterilized. Some women did not want to tell their partners, while others with complicated lives, oh, complicated lives, that's been superwoman, I guess, were afraid of getting pregnant, said Martin Ferrugia a gynecologist for the clinic in Knightsbridge, central London. Esher has been a popular permanent contraception option for several years through the National Health Service. Well, there you are, it's paid by the taxpayer. But I'm already seeing patients who want to have the procedure at a time and place convenient to them, not when they finally reach the top of a National Health Service waiting list. That's when you're retired, you're, you're, you're time to get done there in the National Health Service. It costs £2,700 if you want the fast one and involves placing two metal coils into the fallopian tubes through the vagina. Within three months, tissue grows around the coils, blocking the tubes. I tell you, those things cause problems down the road, but they won't mention them here because anything static or stagnant in the system, whereas things should be moving, always causes problems, inflammation, and then it goes up the fallopian tube to the to the the problem areas and you end up with cysts and all the rest of it. Anyway, According to the clinic, the procedure was particularly important for women from cultures that frown on contraception but who want to take control of their own fertility. But experts, I wonder who the experts are, eh? experts in it. But experts said the service was an ethical can of worms. 
This seems like a cynical attempt to trade on dishonesty, said Dr. Alan Pacey, a fertility specialist at the University of Sheffield. Women have to be able to control their fertility, but in a relationship, people need to be able to have a conversation about this kind of thing. Taking a step like this behind a partner's back is dysfunctional. Well, does he think society is functional these days? I wonder where he's been living. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? Now, this other article, too, and I'll put these links up for you to look at. As I say, this one here is, um, they come up with all kind of ideas to bring in money for government and to also aid in spying on everyone. And this is one of the ideas that came up in, on Popular Sciences. This is this article from Popular Science. Radical ideas. By adding sensor arrays, postal trucks could become a nationwide data collecting network. And don't laugh at it. They'll probably do it. It says, turning postal trucks into mobile sensor arrays. It may deliver in snow, rain, heat, and gloom of night, but the U.S. Postal Service can seem to deliver a net positive operating budget. Or they can't seem, they're always supposedly in the, in the red. Even after drastically cutting personnel last year, the USPS still went 8.5, 8.5 billion into the red. A budget gap that could lead to insolvency this year. But in an op-ed in Saturday's NYT, Chief Counsel to the Chairman of the Postal Regulatory Commission, Michael Ravinitsky, uh, proposed an, uh, an interesting idea to help the Postal Service get back in the black, turn the mail trucks into data-producing Network, uh, nationwide sensor network. I guess we'll steal your stuff like Google did and all that as they patrol up and down. Uh, Ravnitsky's idea, which is capable to point out is his and not that of his employer, is to take the USPS's biggest asset, its massive fleet of vehicles, and turn them into the most robust data collecting operation in the land. Right now, each truck has a single purpose to deliver mail, but fitted with an array of cheap sensors and mail trucks could wireless deliver real-time information on weather, pollutants, traffic, road conditions, and even local gaps in cell phone coverage and television signals. Well, you know darn well it's nothing to do with it. It's about monitoring everybody else and getting their, their information from all their wireless routers and so on, and their cell phones. That's what it's for. And remember, too, it was Rumsfeld that came after, or 9-11, right after, and he says, everybody in uniform, get up. Everybody get your uniform on. Uh, he says, and eventually we found out that's to do with spying on the people, including the postman. That was mentioned in the article at the time in 2001. So uh, here they go with, with this kind of farce here. And I can remember when I was young, in Britain you only had the BBC, and that was the official government station, you see, for your propaganda. That's all you could get is their propaganda. And you had to buy a license to watch the darn thing. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's beautiful, beautiful too, when you have to buy your propaganda, eh? your, your indoctrination. It's quite clever. And um, occasionally the trucks would come around the road with these, these arrays of antennas on them, uh, checking to see uh, people within, with the, the roof antennas actually had... Licenses, because they could actually detect if your television was on or, or, or what it was watching even. And they used to pay some of the youngsters. I was one of them. Whenever we saw these things coming around, you'd go around banging on all the doors to warn everybody that, uh, here, here come the snoops. And you get a little, a little, a few pennies at the end of the, the week for doing so. But, uh, here's the, the next step, as I say, when your postman does it too. Amazing, isn't it? The world we're allowing to happen and build up back with more after these messages.
listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're back, cutting through the matrix. I've read a few pages from the Scientific Outlook by Bertrand Russell recently. And for those who haven't gone through it, you should really go through it. 1931, it was first came, it first came out, and there's been lots of additions since then. But there's nothing happening today, really, and has happened already between the span between the 30s and today uh, that this guy doesn't write about, because he belonged to the big world think tanks who planned the coming wars and all the rest of it, and the aftermath. They always needed wars to unite the planet, you see, get you to your knees and say, look, man can't go on like this. And after all, and these guys are the guys that fund it and create it in the first place. It's a beautiful technique. It always works. But he talks about um, uh, animals and how eventually we'll become kind of vegetarian. That's what he's leaning towards vegetarianism and so on. He says, the importance of animals in human life has greatly diminished since the Industrial Revolution. Abraham lived amongst his flocks and herds until his armies traveled on horses. In the modern world, animals play a very small part as a source of power, except humans, I might add, because they call it, he calls us animals too, and in particular have become quite subordinate as a means of transport. They're still used for food and clothing, but in regard to these also, they will soon be largely superseded. And he goes about the silkworm. The silkworm is threatened by artificial silk. Real leather will soon be regarded as a luxury for the rich. You see, this is the world they're bringing in, you see. Just like organic food, too, is for the rich. As yet, wool is still used to make warm clothes, but it's likely that synthetic products will replace it before long. And that happened 30 years after you wrote the book, when they brought in all the synthetic, awful um, stuff that was supposedly crease-free and all that. It was like wearing plastic bags over you, the nylons. It says, as for meat, it is not a necessary article of diet. And if population continues to increase, we may assume that synthetic beefsteaks will be served everywhere except at the tables of millionaires. He was one of, of the latter, I should say. So the, this, the cod may survive somewhat longer than the ox for the sake of the vitamins in cod liver oil, but already vitamin D can be generated in the human body by means of artificial sunlight, so that even the cod may not ne- remain necessary, necessary very long. Animals have been good friends to man throughout his adolescence, after being dangerous enemies in his infancy, but now that man is becoming adult, that means evolution he's talking about, the part played by animals in relation to man is ending, and their future will be mainly confined to zoos. One cannot help regretting this, but it's part of the new ruthlessness of man, intoxicated by scientific power. And Russell was intoxicated by scientific power, and all the guys around him agreed that it was inevitable. And he, he also said himself that all, all the things he talks about in this book including the control of human beings and their minds, would be too irresistible by governments not to try. He says the need for plants will survive longer than the need for animals because they're yet essentially, they're yet essential to the chemical process upon which human life depends. The use of vegetable products for purposes other than food is not very difficult to dispense with. It is possible already to manufacture substances resembling wood insofar as its useful properties are concerned. That was all the, the, the plastics and so on that he's talking about here. 
though as yet the process of manufacture is more expensive than growing the timber. When it becomes cheaper, as it inevitably will, forests will lose their economic value. It's not probable that natural cotton will continue to be used in clothing any more than natural silk. Synthetic rubber will soon replace natural rubber. Almost all such uses of vegetable products, it may be safely assumed, will cease to be important before another hundred years has passed. Food is a more serious matter. It is said to be already possible to manufacture from the air. From the air, he says, right? Products which can be eaten and digested. He was privy to a lot of information at the top think tanks, though there are two objections to them, namely that they are nauseous and expensive to produce. Uh, Both these objections may in time be overcome. The problem of producing synthetic food is purely chemical, and there's no reason to regard it as insoluble. No doubt natural foods will taste better, and rich men at weddings and feasts will provide real peas and beans, which will be mentioned by the newspapers with awe. That's all the peasants reading the papers he's talking about. But in the main, food will be manufactured in vast chemical factories. Well, they already are. When you look at what's in the packets of the stuff you're buying. The fields will fall out of cultivation, and agricultural laborers will be replaced by chemical experts. That's the agri-food business. It's already happened. See? In such a world, no biological processes will be of interest to man except those that take place in himself. These will be so out of the picture that he will tend more and more to view himself also as a manufactured product. That's you. You're a manufactured product, just like Bernays said. And um, to minimize the share of natural growth in the production of human beings, he will come to value only what is deliberately caused by human agency, not what results from nature's unaided handiwork. Man, men will acquire power to alter themselves. He's talking about genetics here and will inevitably use this power. What they will make of the species, I do not venture to predict, but he actually did predict it in other books of his because he was in on the, the whole act. So I read this once in a while just to show you you're living through a script, folks. And this guy was no um, Nostradamus. He didn't use a, a, a little pool of water inside a stone and watch it shaking and uh, sniff some drugs and stuff. He he simply went to the think tanks where the real scientists are, not the ones that end up in popular science or in medical papers, but the ones who keep the real secrets. Because, you see, knowledge is power. And I've already mentioned that in the same book he tells you there will be a, a secret uh, or uh, education for a very small select elite who are given the real facts of life, including the real archives of information. That already had happened in fact, he was given privy to these archives, and he was one of these specially bred ones for his particular task. But now back to the media again, and um, it's interesting to read that Russia is planning to upgrade its armed forces. Everybody's going into armed forces when you're broke. That's what they generally do, you know. So they're going to up it by 70% by 2020. Uh, Prime Minister Vladimir Putin stated on Monday in Severodzvik, I think it says, a city on Russia's northern coastline. Uh, The Prime Minister made remarks at a meeting regarding Russian uh, armament program for the coming decade. Discussion examined the state of Russia's armed forces, which are still based on aging Soviet technology and require urgent and profound modernization. It should be achieved through the the purchase of over 1,300 pieces of arms and military hardware, Putin stated the total investments are planned at an estimated 20 trillion rubles, which is more than $600 billion. 
The main attention will be paid to the strategic nuclear forces, he said. We will also have to provide the troops with modern air defense, communications control and reconnaissance systems, and start the production of fifth-generation fighter planes and other modern aviation systems. But what's, true, what's interesting, too, is that they're also going to hire troops from outside Russia, if you can speak Russian. So those who are unemployed and you don't, you've maybe failed to get into kill folk in Iraq um, from the U.S. and Canada and elsewhere, you can also learn Russian and maybe get hired on there because they party a lot, those guys, and apparently the booze is awful cheap. Now, the incredible taxation that's placed on the democratic countries, that's what democracy means. It means incredibly high taxation for, for agendas that you'll never know anything about, or you certainly wouldn't agree with if you did know. Um, that's, that's how it is. But, but at the top, you have all these thousands and thousands of bureaucrats and their families now. They're intergenerational, by the way. Their sons and daughters end up getting positions in the same bureaucracies. That's been standard for hundreds of years, in fact. But it's like George Orwell said in his book 1984, some are more equal than others in such utopias. In other words, they live like kings, literally. Well, they tell you to tighten your belts and and go hungry, and there's, there's going to be God knows how many people dying in Britain this year alone, dying right now, because they can't afford the fuel the fuel to heat themselves. Literally, this is happening right now. And that's one thing that Alexander Hamilton in the U.S., who's always getting bashed by some patriots, uh, because he had a different view on economy. But one thing he did say was true, and, and all psychopaths will say makes true statements now and then, because they're very lucid at times, very clear. And he did say that is it better to have a king and keep a king and his family and his guards happy with big wages, or is it better to have thousands of bureau, uh, bureaucrats and their families? You know, Well, we know what's right today, don't we? We've found that out. Anyway, Britain's top tax official, the top tax official who's hammering the public in Britain, uh, he, he went and enjoyed a £6,000 four-night stay at a luxury hotel in India in order to make a 30-minute speech. Eh? These guys are so good with the money. and the, These are the guys who are in charge of the economy and how to balance budgets. And all. They're utter liars. Utter liars. Britain's top tax official, Dave Harnett, has enjoyed a four-night stay in a luxury hotel in India at a cost of thousands of pounds to the taxpayer to attend a conference at which he delivered a speech lasting just half an hour. Mr. Harnett, permanent secretary for tax at Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs, everything's owned by Her Majesty over there, flew businesses, uh, business class to Mumbai to participate in the low-key conference largely for Indian accountants and tax officials. I guess we just tell them how we budget, eh? <laughs> and they do cutbacks. He was even joined on the trip by another senior executive, Melissa Tatton, who is Her Majesty's uh, uh, HMRC's Deputy Director of Business International. And it says, um, it says, the pair spent four nights in rooms costing more than £200 a night each on the executive floor of the five-star ITC Maratha Hotel in Mumbai and enjoyed exotic meals. Well, they always do, but their toilets don't back up at the UN and the hotel's restaurants. The conference was described by one attendee as a talking shop for Indian tax accountants. Mr. Harnett, 59, whose career hung in the balance in September over his role in a tax fiasco 
that saw millions of people being landed with unexpected tax demands, delivered a 35-minute speech and sat in a one-hour panel discussion. The following day, Ms. Tatton spoke to the audience for 35 minutes and took part in a one-hour discussion too. The pair who flew to India on Wednesday, December the 1st, also met senior Indian tax officials and businessmen during the trip to discuss tax issues. So, it says they preferred their own company for much of the time, I'll bet they did, often choosing to dine together than take advantage of the free food and drink available at social events put on by the conference organizers. So, that's how, as Orwell said, some uh, are more equal than others in such utopias. And, of course, uh, Julia in uh, 1984 uh, said uh, she, she managed to steal some real coffee and real bacon even, and and he couldn't believe it because Winston had never seen it before. And he says, geez, is that real? And she says, yeah, so there's nothing those bastards don't have. Well, that is the world that they've actually brought it in already. As I say, they don't eat the rubbish that you eat. They don't eat all the poison stuff from Monsanto that you eat. They get special cards which give them access to the real organic stuff, not the stuff either that you'll see on the shelves is organic. And they get real beef and real steaks and all the rest of it that are not grazed on and pumped full of inoculations, injections, and various other steroids and growth hormones. And that's part of their incentive to keep doing what they're doing. But they're all psychopathic in nature, as you can see. And um, that's the world they've brought in, a disgusting, disgusting world of too many kings and queens, really. Because they're all kings and queens in their own right, as far as they're concerned. And some of them are, are, are actually living better than kings and queens did 200 years ago. All off you, of course. This parasitical society. Now, I just wanted to put this little out. It's a bit of a trivia, really. But it's a, a little warning to Masons here, because it's supposed to, for a candidate to see, check out his background, make sure he's perfect and, perfectly sound in mind and body. And you've got to be whole in body, too, by the way. You can have nothing missing. They want everything whole. I guess they give you a good examination. And... Uh, they want you to be sound in mind, not an alcoholic or, or a spendthrift or whatever. And that's all nonsense, too. I've seen so many Masons drunk. You know, you see them staggering out in the Masonic lodges. It's just incredible. But to get it in there, you're supposed to be, have, be of upstanding character and all the rest of it. And here's an article here. It's, it's quite interesting. Michael Bray, who's a Mason, killed his mum with a sword, please say. And the neighbors say the cops were slow to respond. And this happened in the States. It says the body of Yannick Bria is removed from the scene of the crime. Neighbors of a Brooklyn woman savagely slashed to death by her deranged sword-wielding son claims cops refused to enter her apartment early Tuesday despite their pleas. When cops finally got inside the Prospect Heights home, they found Yannick Bria kneeling with fatal lacerations to her head in a blood-spattered bathroom. The son holding the three-foot sword and babbling about religion and repentance, was arrested in a nearby bedroom, police said. And it turns out that it, he, he was at a Masonic meeting, you see, and he took the lodge sword home with him and ended up killing his mum with it. And uh, it's amazing what they go through in these lodges, though. And uh, mind you, if they have a purpose for you or, or you've got a, a chance to influence the public, that's what they say, 
they'll take you on board. Even small local reporters for, for free sheets, as they call the rags that they put out in your local community, just advertising rags, if they slip occasional comments in there, what to do and so on, they can influence the public opinion. And so uh, they get in for that reason. So be very, very careful, you Masons who are in the lodges there with those swords and all that, and count those jewels, as you call them, before you leave. Make sure they're safely tucked away, because some of your members are going around cutting off members of people's bodies and stuff like that. So yeah, it's interesting too, what the neighbour said, or his aunt said, or whoever it was, is something happened that made him do it. The, the lodge he's talking about said, Mar- Marshall Breer, the devil entered him. Well, no kidding, eh? Because they all worship Lucifer, don't they? According to Albert Pike, anyway, and Blavatsky. So that's the sort of stuff you're getting for news these days. But the real news, as I say, is just a script. You, you don't have to... All, I get so fed up reading the, the general newspapers because they're just unfolding that which you knew was to come in that particular order. And you knew it years and years ago. How did it get all this done? Well, they'll unroll this first, that next, and so on. And that's how they, they actually do it. We're living through a script, and all of us are. Every culture is too. It's all, they're all on board with the same agenda. And uh, there's nothing to stop it because most folk don't even know it's happening. And even in the patriot community too, I always use the, the analogy of rats in a, in a cage in a laboratory. All the news does is, is, is they're the white guys, the white guys coming in with the white coats in the morning and you're the rat saying what they're going to do to us today. Oh dear, and then you're very indignant. And they're indignant the next day, but the next thing too. We're constantly indignant, but that uh, doesn't do much, does it? Back after this. Hi folks, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix and we're rounding up for the night. I'm sure everybody's so busy about this Christmas hype and all that stuff, they're just almost neurotic about it. I noticed that in the streets today, even in the local town, as they rush around in their cars and looking frantic and chatting away on their cell phones to voices in the ether. But getting back to Russell too, he also said this, and I mentioned this earlier on in the week, but it's worthwhile repeating. Because, you see, we'll be ruled by oligarchs, you see. And that's what we are ruled by as oligarchs. And he says the completeness of the resulting control over opinion, the propaganda and so on, depends in various ways upon scientific technique. Where all children go to school and all schools are controlled by the government, that's the beauty of uh, having uh, standardized education across countries, etc., all from UNESCO, from the United Nations. It says the authorities can close the minds of the young to everything contrary to official orthodoxy. And so they're taught all the new politically correct things. Everything's fine and so on. And things which used to be disgusting are now just, just wonderful. Anyways, printing is not possible without paper, and all paper belongs to the state. Broadcasting and the cinema are equally public monopolies. The only remaining possibility of unauthorized propaganda is by secret whispers from one individual to another. But this, in turn, is rendered appallingly dangerous by improvements in the art of spying. 
Children at school are taught that it is their duty to denounce their parents if they allow themselves subversive utterances in the bosom of the family. No one can be sure that a man who seems to be his dearest friend will not denounce him to the police. The man may himself may have been in trouble and may know that if he is not efficient as a spy, his wife and children will suffer. You see, they use blackmail on people, and um, police do this all the time. They let them out of jail if they'll snoop. Um, that's what I read the other night there about the guy who was an illegal immigrant in Britain who killed a, a woman when he was drunk in a car. And uh, people are stunned that he didn't get deported in the whole bit. Well, he's an asset to MI5, that's why. He's a snoop. She says, all this is not imaginary, it is daily and hourly reality, nor given oligarchy is there the slightest reason to expect anything else. That was right, written as a 31, I think it was 1931. And that was what he and all his kin uh, were envisaging for the future, which is here. The future is here, folks. And um, you really don't have to go into crazy conspiracy books that are churned out by people who make lots of profits by keeping your imagination going. All you have to do is read the books by the big players themselves. They publish their memoirs. They publish their stuff. Psychopaths love to publish how clever they are. Read all of the stuff by Brzezinski and Kissinger and the ilk and retiring bureaucrats, high-level bureaucrats, lifelong politicians who have been members of different cabinets, they call them, as they come into to power, they get put into little cabinets to work on secret things and so on. But they love to give little clues away in their memoirs to show you how important and how clever they were in, in helping plan the future. And, of course, what they really are are playing the Machiavellian game because the public must never be allowed in to the truth as it really is happening at any time, any era, in any country. That's been the standard way of it. Read their books because they do have big mouths at times. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your God's school with you.